Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Hey, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. It's going to be up on the screen as well. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done something beautiful to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is an interesting passage because it bookends with scheming and deceit, right? At the very beginning, the Pharisees are kind of, you can imagine, going like this, trying to figure out how they will do away with Jesus. He's become enough of a threat that they have to take severe action. And they have this little aside, but not during the festival, because we want to like be able to off him, but not in a way that will cause a riot. We want to do it in a way that will assure that we're still in power and there won't be any problems on our hands. They're trying to figure out how to do away with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, we're transported. The camera pans over to Bethany, which is a town outside of Jerusalem in a place where Jesus can get some reprieve from the maddening crowds of Jerusalem during the height of the religious festival of Passover. He's hanging out with Simon the leper and he's eating and there's this event that unfolds. But then at the end, it pans back almost to Judas and to the betrayal. Sandwiched right in there is this story of extravagance. But it's kind of interesting maybe just to spend some time. It's, we don't know much about Simon the leper, but anytime somebody has their name and then the afterwards, there's probably some story, right? You don't get the leper attached to your name unless you were probably a leper at some point in your life. If you have that situation where you're, have you been called so-and-so the leper and you haven't had leprosy, come tell me. I'd be interested. That'd be interesting to me. Uh, Simon probably had leprosy, and because Jesus is with him in close proximity, Jesus most likely had healed him. So Jesus is the recipient of the hospitality of someone he most likely healed. It's probably a crowded room. There's an unknown amount of people there. And there, in Simon the leper's house, in Bethany, a woman steps onto the stage. 
with this extravagant act. And Jesus, at the end of it, describes it as beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful is an interesting word. Like here, you know, churchy words, you know, we, we are familiar with words like helpful. That was so helpful. Thank you for that. Or maybe encouraging. She really was encouraging today, wasn't she? Or true. Man, he brought the truth. So glad to get the truth today. Or reassuring. That was really reassuring. Inspiring. He was really inspiring. And just for a side note, if you ever want to say that to me, totally welcome. You can say that it was, what I said was inspiring. That's more than welcome. Uh, but Jesus says here, he uses the word beautiful. Beautiful is a word that, I mean, I would typically segment that word off to describe like art. It's kind of a word that's reserved for art if you're into art and that kind of thing. Art can be beautiful. Maybe one of those like really moving films is beautiful. Or a spouse or someone you want to be a spouse is beautiful. But Jesus here says um, what she did was beautiful. I want to, I guess, spend the rest of our morning just like trying to understand why. What did Jesus see in her action that caused him to use a word that we typically relegate for art and romantic interests or spouses and apply it to what she did? Beautiful. There's a couple quick ideas, maybe the fact that like, that she had some type of understanding that the rest of the disciples didn't have. You see, the, Jesus says, she was preparing me for burial, which means that Jesus knows that he's going to the cross and that she apparently knows he's going to the cross. And the rest of the disciples and the people in the room seem to be like out of the loop on that, except for Judas, because he's starting to become aware that Jesus is going to the cross. But it seems like there is this connection between the woman and between Jesus and they both understand what Jesus has been trying to communicate multiple times that this ministry is not going up and to the right. It's not continuing to grow bigger and bigger until it has this massive, like, you know, like little entrepreneurial setups and startups all over the world, but that he's going to die. And she understands that. So maybe it was beautiful because like there's this shared understanding that both of them have in the midst of all this misunderstanding that the disciples are constantly misunderstanding. Could be that or it could be um, the fact that there's just this beautiful intimate thing. that The woman steps towards Jesus and she's the only one that's described in physical proximity to Jesus. It says she pours this perfume over his head. I had to read it a couple times because I was naturally reading it as she broke the thing on his head, you know, which would be brutal. Ka, you know. But that she is, she doesn't do that. I mean, if she did, alabaster does break pretty easily. So, uh, but she doesn't. She breaks it and she comes close to Jesus. And maybe it was the fact that there is this intimate connection between this woman and Jesus. The reason why Jesus calls it beautiful. Most likely is just the simple reality of the cost. The cost. This woman pours out something of such great value on Jesus. So this is going to be a one-point sermon. 
We're going to be spending the rest of our time looking at the cost of this thing and how we're all called to be people that pour out, people of sacrifice, people of cost. Our family took a trip to Seattle yesterday. It was one of those rare Saturdays when you look at the schedule and there's like not a lot to do. And there was stuff that was on my list of things to do. I don't know if you guys have lists of things to do at your house, but I was conveniently forgetting about all of that stuff. And I conveniently consider, you know, my, I helped my wife forget about it. And so we decided we're going to go to Seattle and we're going to go to a lunch and we're going to go to a bookshop. We're going to visit grandma. We're going to do, we're going to spend the Saturday kind of going on this family journey. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, that's not a thing where like, um, like I wasn't expecting it to be like a high cost trip, you know, but you go to like lunch in Seattle and then like you don't say no to everything your kids want. You say no to like 50% of what your kids want. And then you end up looking back at the end of the day at how much money you spent and you, there's a cost. Have you ever been there? I was there yesterday. I don't know that, I mean like cost, it seems like I'm aware of it more than I have been in the past. Gas. Uh, the grocery bill, you go on a date and you choose to not look at the price of things that you're asking for until the end where you come face to face with the reality of the price of the things that you bought. Cost. Cost. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. This woman is completely misunderstood by all the ones talking. All the ones doing the talking. And it says they, they like rebuked her harshly. Poor woman. What did that sound like? Were they, did they call her a name? Was it the tone of voice that was harsh? What was harsh about it? We're not given all of the words because the words that we do have are words that they say to one another. We don't hear exactly what the harsh rebuke is, but Mark tells us that there was a harsh rebuke there. And I, I'm just imagining, you know, like the first century Middle Eastern world, you know, is, is fairly patriarchal, to say the least. And here's this woman kind of in the middle of everyone's angry gaze. Imagine what she was feeling. Imagine the fear. Cost. They were imagining maybe we, we could have done something else with this. They were imagining that the poor could be cared for. We could have incorporated, become a 501c3, got a website. We could have hired a couple people extra on the team. We could have really leveraged this money for something significant. And then this woman, she just, she just makes this decision for a grand gesture, you know. Jesus calls it beautiful. One of my favorite books in 2023 was um, the book, and I'm expecting all of you to write this down and then read it and buy it. Um, Everything Sad is Untrue. Anybody read it? Everything Sad is Untrue. There's uh, the story of this, this Iranian family um, that are a well-to-do, wealthy family, um, and uh, something happens to this family. The daughter uh, has a dream and guess who shows up in the dream? Jesus. Jesus shows up in the dream, and it's actually a true story. She wakes up, 
And it wasn't like, oh, that was weird. That one Jesus guy showed up. It was like he showed up and the power of that experience stayed with her to the point where she could think of nothing else but to become a follower of Jesus herself. Fast forward a few weeks and the mom is captured also by the love of Jesus. And all of a sudden we have a problem. Because at that point in time in Iran, it was very problematic to be an, a Jesus follower. Especially a Jesus follower that was so captured by the love of Jesus that they, were, they, were, they weren't trying to hide it. They were just openly in love and desiring to grow in their relationship with God. And it makes it even more hard because this is a family of means. It's a well-to-do family. The mom had a multi-million dollar medical practice. And all of a sudden there's this challenge, this, this wrinkle that shows up in the story. And the, the mom, she starts looking for underground churches so that she can learn more about Jesus. And she starts doing something that may seem reckless from the outside observer. She starts wearing a cross. Oh. To the point where she has a fatwa put on her head, meaning that there is a death order if she is found. And so she does some... She, flees Iran with her two kids and without her husband. For a long time, the, the, the boy who actually writes the, the, the story, the boy, the boy and the dad think, couldn't have you just found a different book club? One where they aren't studying the Bible, just like a different book club, you know? But her heart has been captured by Jesus. Well, we were at the bookstore in Seattle and we bought like the, that author, the author's newest book yesterday. We're excited to read it. My daughter and I are fighting about who gets to read it first. Uh, and on the way home, we decided to l listen to a podcast by the author because we we're just like into it and remembering how much we loved that book. And the, in the podcast, the author um, says something that's significant. He says, my mom kept saying, if in the end of my life, all I have is Jesus and nothing else, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. At the end of my life, all I have is Jesus. It'll still be worth it. So, like, um, something happened while I was driving. Um, it was crazy. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I would describe it as eye sweat. It just started happening. And, um, and I would say my eyes were glassing over, but that sounds less masculine. And that's really important to be super uber masculine. So, I sweat. And why? Because I was connecting in a very, very small way in a, my own experience. Now, I was not fleeing Iran at all. But I do remember senior year of high school. Senior year where the cultural script is go out and use every type, uh, you know, or just try to, try to have fun. It doesn't matter. Blow all the boundaries. Push all the boundaries. It's your senior year. You're only a senior once. Go to the Ragers. Go to the Kagers. Do all of that. But something had changed where I was not accepting the script that was given to me. I had met Jesus. I had come face to face with the love of God expressed in the person of Jesus and something happened in me. I wasn't interested in making my Friday nights about how drunk I could get anymore. It had been about what I was living for, but something had shifted. God had transformed my life and because of that, there was this cost. 
I remember my friend stopped calling. I was not the one that they wanted to hang out with anymore. Not because I was this annoying religious guy, it's just because I wasn't going with the cultural script. And all of a sudden, I, I was kind of a social outcast in the group of people that I had gone through high school with. But the crazy thing was is that I wasn't like bemoaning my loneliness because I had experienced the love of God and Jesus. And that's what I wanted. I craved it. I remember hungering like to do something that might sound crazy. I just, I wanted to read the Bible and go to church. It's crazy, I know. But I remember the cost. I have this conviction. Every follower of Jesus has poured something out. Every follower of Jesus has poured something of themselves out at the risk of being misunderstood, all because they understood the love of God. Have you, have, you, have, you, have you seen the cost of following Jesus in a way where it doesn't feel like it's a cost because there's so much joy because God has done something in your life that no thing else can do, no other philosophy, no drug, no romantic relationship can do it? Have you experienced this inside-out transformation to the point where you joyfully pay the cost because the cost is it's, it's not, it's irrelevant because there's Jesus? Have you been in that place? Every, every follower of Jesus, I'm convinced at some point in their life, pours something out from their life. We all, the thing is, is whether you're a Jesus follower or not, we actually all pay a cost. And so you get to actually choose what cost am I going to pay. Um, you could pay the cost of what I'm calling the celebrity or pay the cost of what I'm calling the saint. Now, hear me on this. Um, I'm not saying that every celebrity is bad. If you happen to be a celebrity in the room, glad you're here. It's really great. Um, welcome. Blue, blue check marks. Um, but, but we all know like that story of the celebrity that, that lives for the ego you see, the cost of celebrity is to lose more and more of your true self so that you become a veneer of yourself, a thin gloss and polish after living your life for yourself, after trying to establish something to promote how great you are to everyone that might be interested. And so at the end, you've paid a cost, but you've lost so much of who you truly are. And then there's the way or the cost of the saint is to lose more and more of your false self so that you can grow, in the, so you do grow in the knowledge of God and, the, and you grow into your true self. So the question is, before all of us, what cost will you pay? What cost will you pay? It was Jim Elliott, the missionary, who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In the end of your life, will you say, if I have Jesus, I am good. We pay this cost in big and dramatic actions and also in small daily practices. 
So like there might be a point in your life where you remember a season in my, like I shared about my life where there was this cost and you didn't even really count the cost because it was just this joy of following Jesus and after he's transformed your life or there may be something like that you've experienced, but then there's also these small everyday types of cost of following him where you give your time to him. Maybe it's just 15 minutes, but you pour out your time because it's, he's worthy. And it's sometimes it feels like this thing that you discipline where you almost have to kind of will yourself to do it, but you know he's worthy, so you do it in faith. And there's these rhythm of, of small and dramatic actions in our lives where we're, pay, we're, we're pushing out, we're pouring out something of ourselves. Some of us might recognize it just even uh, we're planting a church, Anchor South, and some of you might be wondering, oh, the cost of, of going there, but God, are you calling me there? Because if you're calling me to this new church, then I'm going to do it no matter the cost. And we wrestle with these things in small and large ways. But the greatest two threats to the cost in our small and our large ways, the first is duty. You see, if we're looking at something that, that uh, maybe we, we're, we're needing, we're calling, we're sensing this need to be pouring out ourselves in a certain direction, if we make it about duty and our rigid responsibility, because I'm a good Christian and I'm going to be a good Christian and so I'm going to do the right thing here in this situation, I'm going to be dutiful about my religious duties, if we do that, you see the shift that happens, it ends up becoming about ourselves. And when it, is a, when it ends up becoming about ourselves, two things happen. We either get an ego inflation, we think, look how good I am, or we get resentful because it's just about ourselves. When the cost is a, a duty, it ends up being about ourselves and typically we'll actually ricochet between feeling better than other people and feeling resentful because people aren't seeing how great we are. And that back and forth ricochet of the cost as duty ends up leading us towards burnout. The second greatest threat to cost, the true beautiful cost like this woman articulates is managing image. You see, you can imagine like this woman, she's there and like if she was looking around at all these people around her, if she was like paying more attention to the crowd than like what she was moving in her heart, she would have told, she was never stepped into the middle of that space. Because like, if you're managing image, you'll, you're, you're never going to pour something out because you'll be looking in a calculated way or what people will think about me. What will people think about me? And you'll be more worried about what people will think about you than what God's put in your heart to do. And so it'll always be squashed down. And the volume on what God's inviting you to will always be down to one. And you'll hear a faint version of it, but you'll never step into that space where God says, beautiful. Because you'll be looking around and wondering, what will they say? These are the two greatest threats to this pouring out disposition. Duty that's based upon yourself and managing image that's based upon looking at everyone else. The way we move away from duty and image management is worship. The word worship, it means worth -ship. 
So true worship is is not about the people I'm near and not about even myself. It's about how great God is. And when this becomes our disposition, the act of pouring out, of taking our alabaster jars filled with whatever it is, whether it's giftedness or time or a listening ear or some some financial resources, whatever it is, that alabaster jar, it becomes easy to pour it out because it's about worship and it's not about ourselves and it's not about the crowd, it's about God. And we've reckoned and, and, all, and become aware that everyone pays a cost. So the question is, what cost are you going to pay? And it's this beautiful pouring out the cost, the sacrifice of worship. I remember when I was a, a first year of being a Jesus follower, you know, I, I didn't have a ton of exposure to the church growing up. And so when I saw people like raising their hands during the song time, I was like, what are they reaching for? <laughs> is there a pull-up bar that I can't see or something, you know? I don't remember actually thinking that. It just sounded funny. (laughs) Um, And I remember thinking, I could never do that. Why? Because I was worried about image management. In my small little way, I was worried about, like, what would people say if they saw me go like this, you know? Not that this or this, but it was just, like, the thing that was keeping me from that was the fact that I was so concerned about what the people around me might see. It's a dark room, but I, didn't even, I wasn't paying attention to that. You know? I was like, what are they going to think? There's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing of to this place where it's not about duty. It's not about, it's not about what people are thinking. It's about God. Like it's that, it's there where Jesus looks at us and says, beautiful. You know, you always have to, at that point, risk being misunderstood. In fact, uh, you know, like the, the people around, they misunderstand. But here, check this out. This is what Jesus says. Verse six, he says, shut up. He doesn't actually. He says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Everybody's critiquing. Jesus says, no. And he goes on to say, why are you bothering her? She's into this courageous, vulnerable act of pouring out this, this, on Jesus' head. And Jesus defends her as everyone misunderstands her. And then it goes on and says, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What is the thing? Like, so initially, initially, check this out. Initially, everybody misunderstands her. But now she's told as an example of what faithfulness to Jesus looks like. Which cost will you pay? What will you pour out? Will you accept the script that culture gives you as kind of like, okay, I guess I reach for this and then I accomplish that and then everybody will think I'm great? Or you live your life as an expression of worship? More beautiful than the act uh, of the woman is the act of Jesus. 
because he also paid a cost. Pouring out his life so that we could have his security with the Father. Like the woman, he was the object of the crowd's scorn as they yelled, crucify him. And like the woman, we see that act of pouring something out as now is what, for what it truly is, beautiful. And as the band comes up, you know, I want to just remind us that this act of Jesus pouring himself out was for you. So some of us right here in this place, you know, have yet to let that message settle down deep in our soul. I want to tell you, Jesus poured his life out for you. And we are left with this opportunity to respond. How will you respond? What is your response to that? What is your answer to his question? Will you accept what I am extending to you? What is your answer to that? You see, we aren't called to pour out our life in, in, in hopes that he might love us. He loves us. And so we pour out our life in response to his act of love. He loved us first so that we might know what love is and then express that love to him and to others. He has made provision for you to not only know what love is, but to have access to a holy God. What is your response to that? What is your response to that? Will you look at the crowd and kind of look around Keeping yourself from God? Will you look at yourself and say, well, I don't know, I don't know. Or will you look at him? Will you look at him? Uh, so now as communion um, is gonna be available to you here in a moment. And at, when you come forward for communion, if you're a follower of Jesus or a first-time follower or a long-time follower, you'll hear Christ's body given for you, Christ's blood shed for you. It's a reminder of his love. And there's prayer stations at both sides of the space. We want to create opportunities for you to get prayer. Um, but before any of that, and right now, I just want to invite you, as the music starts, just to close your eyes. Jesus is confronting you right now. He's coming to you. He's showing you the depth of his love. Imagine him. What is he saying? He's extending himself. He's showing you that he loved you first. It's safe to respond. What is your response? What is your response?